Please join me now as I read the passage on which today's teaching from Pastor Brian Park is based. The scripture reading comes from Esther chapter 3, and I'll be reading from verses 1 through 11. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior will be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet, having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, they cast the poor, that is the lot, in the presence of Haman, to select a day and month. And the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom, whose customs are different from those of all other people and who do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. And this is God's word. Good morning, everyone. My name is Brian, one of the pastors here. And first and foremost, just wanted to give everyone a happy Thanksgiving to everyone who is watching. Um, we know that the circumstances uh, this week may have altered some planning, uh, but my hope and my prayer is that the spirit of giving thanks uh, remains the same, especially during this time. And if this is your first time checking us out here on live stream, I want to keep you and everyone else up to speed. Uh, we started last week on our Advent series. And Advent, uh, as we're reflected on this holiday season, uh, Advent ultimately means arrival. And it's in this Advent season where we reflect on the arrival of Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. But at the same time, Advent, it reminds us of the day that Jesus will arrive again, that his holy kingdom, his perfect peace will reign one more time upon all of creation. And what a timely reminder, is it not? So needed as we close out what many would consider this shipwreck of a year, 2020, the COVID pandemic, the political divide, the racial injustice, and not even mentioning your uh, own personal narrative intertwined with the current climate of our society. 
And the question uh, that many are asking, and maybe if you're watching this right now, you are asking yourself, where is God in all of this? You know, God, if you are real, if you are an omniscient God, if you are an omnipresent God, and you say that you, who you are, then why do you seem so absent during this time, not only in my life, but in all of our society? And if I caught your attention with what I just shared, what I want to say is this. I want to encourage you and remind you that God is presently and actively working in your life right now, even during the most difficult set of circumstances. That God purposed these seasons in your life, not to minimize your hope, but these seasons are meant to maximize who you find your hope in. And the reason why I can confidently say this is because of what I see in our passage today. See, the book of Esther is about a community that is going through their own version of 2020. They go through unjust persecution and unfair punishment. And here is what's most interesting, is that nowhere in the book of Esther, nowhere does the author mention once the name, the character, and the plan of God. But that's the whole point, that although God may not be explicitly mentioned, his activity is undeniably present throughout this entire book. And in the same way, it reminds you and I that he is undeniably present in our lives right now. There are three points for us this morning. The first point is the injustices of life. Secondly, God's sovereignty and silence. And thirdly, our hope for today. Let's dive into our first point, the injustices of life. Now, last week, starting in chapters one and two, uh, what we see is the rise of a young Jewish woman named Esther who becomes the queen of Persia, and she is assisted by her cousin and guardian, Mordecai, who is our primary focus for today. And at the end of Esther chapter 2, we see Mordecai uncovering this conspiracy to assassinate the king. And as he overhears two royal guards of their plot to kill the king, Mordecai then tells Esther, who then informs the king, and Mordecai gets all of the credit in saving the king's life. Now, in the beginning of Esther chapter 3, which is about five years later after Mordecai saves the king, the reader would assume that Mordecai would be in a place of honor, but starting in verse 1, it immediately tells us that it is not the case. Verse 1 tells us that it is not Mordecai that is honored, but it would be one known as Haman that would be promoted to the second most powerful position in Persia. Now, this is where it gets interesting, because not only is this promotion of Haman uh, completely left field, but we know that this cannot be good news for Mordecai, Esther, and God's people. But why? Well, in verse 1, it specifically says that Haman is an Agagite. 
It's a small detail, but uh, somewhat significant. So just track with me for the next 30 seconds or so. See, the Agagites uh, are a direct descendant of the ancient Amalekites. And without going into too much detail, there was much historical context between the Amalekites and God's people, the Israelites. And the Amalekites throughout Israel's history would be an enemy, uh, a group that would constantly try to destroy and attack the Israelites, the very people of God. So what we are seeing is this conflict between Haman and Mordecai is diving much deeper as it's mirroring uh, the historical context between their ancestors, Agag and Saul, the Agagites versus the Israelites. So just through this first verse, we know that this isn't going to be a good situation for Mordecai to say the least. And we see this unfold in verse 2. Because in verse 2, when the king's servants are bowing down to Haman, what do we see? That Mordecai does not. And how does Haman respond? Look at verse 5 and 6 with me. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Haman, he was angry, he's fuming, and not only wants punishment for Mordecai, but now Haman, he's persuading the king to enact a decree to destroy all of the Jews in Persia simply because Mordecai wouldn't bow. And I want to park here for just a little bit because what we are seeing is this main point. We are seeing that there are injustices in this life. Consider Mordecai. Mordecai, he was not promoted to a higher position, even though it was deserved. Mordecai was persecuted for not renouncing his given identity. And now the lives of God's people in Persia are in jeopardy because of Haman's nationalistic pride and self-righteous anger. And for you and I, as we're going through this text, you can ask, we can ask, how is this fair at all? In the same way, how often are we not only witnessing the injustices uh, within our society, but we have also experienced these injustices ourselves? Just like Mordecai, how often are we overlooked for opportunities in life simply because of identity? Just like Mordecai, how often are we looked at as a second-class citizen in life because of our faith? Just like Mordecai, how often have we experienced some type of pain and suffering simply because of prideful, hateful, and ignorant people? And it's during these times and experiences when it just feels like God is silent. That in the injustices of our lives, your heart may be screaming for help, but you do not seem to be heard. And the reality is this, is that there is 
There are, and there always will be these injustices, and it does feel like pain and suffering. It does feel like sorrow and hopelessness. But could it be that it's through these realities of pain and suffering that God is still active and present through it all? Could it be that God has placed these things in your life not to punish you, but to sanctify you, to deepen your faith through whatever injustices that may come in your life? And what I would uh, remind us right now is that God is still sovereign through the injustices of life. And that although he may seem silent, he is most certainly sovereign in it. Which is our second point, God's sovereignty and silence. Now, in light of this injustice to the Jews in Persia, what we begin to see is the evidence of God's silent sovereignty at work. Read verse 7 with me. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the pur, that is the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and month, and the lot fell on the twelfth month. See, when Haman becomes enraged at Mordecai and now wants to set out to destroy the Israelites, in verse 7, it tells us that he decides to cast purr. Now, what is casting purr? Uh, casting purr, it was a method to determine the will of God. Um, it was a spiritual act, uh, you know, where they gathered uh, a lot of um, stone and dice, if you will, in this uh, pot and just try to discern God's will. Um, consider it as a spiritual game of craps to discern the will of God. It was a method used quite often uh, during the time of the Israelites, and Haman uses this method to control the fate of the Jews. And what we see here is God to beginning his silent work. See, as Haman casts purr in the first month, they actually fall on the 12th month, meaning this, that it would be in an, almost an entire year. It would be just enough time for Mordecai and Esther to save God's people through numerous events, consequences, coincidences, and ironic reversals which is throughout the entire book of Esther. Now, track with me, because it is in this entire time we see Mordecai's uh, faithfulness. We see his character and integrity. Because in this passage and throughout the book of Esther, Mordecai could have bowed. He could have gone the easier route. But how does Mordecai respond? He never bows. And he doesn't bow down because he doesn't want to compromise his identity. He doesn't want to compromise what he valued, even at the cost of his own life. Now, when you look at the text here, the text does not give any explicit reason for Mordecai's refusal to bow. But what's interesting is that in a Greek version of this text, it explicitly says that Mordecai refused to bow down so he might not give glory to man due to the glory of God. In other words, Mordecai didn't want to compromise his identity and faith because he didn't want to give glory to Haman. 
And here's my question for us right now. In your seasons of silence, in the quiet sufferings, in the deep sorrows of your life, are you prone to wander? Do you fall into the spiritual amnesia that we often get and forget what God has been doing in our lives when things get a little bit difficult? And my challenge is this, is that we need to stop running to what immediately comforts us. We need to stop running into the the escapisms in our life. We need to stop running to people that we disguise as accountability, but just really enables faithless behavior. Because no matter what shape or size, we have all experienced injustice, persecution, and suffering. And when they come, not if, but when they come again, will you consider seeing his sovereignty in the silence by submitting yourself into the means of grace because we know that they are sufficient for you. And rather than running away from God's presence, that you will remain in his sovereignty? Will you remain still and in faith knowing that he is in control through it all? And you're probably wondering right now, how do I know? How do I know if I'm uh, staying still? What are three things that we, we know? There are three means of grace that I think are really important in terms of knowing if you are remaining still and trusting God in his silent sovereignty. Number one, trusting in his word. How does scripture shape you during this time? Are you meditating on his word daily as reminders of his faithfulness in your life? Second thing, you know, is to lament in prayer. How is prayer building you? How are you praying and lamenting uh, your sorrows? How are you allowing prayer to really um, just uh, marinate into, into what's really going in your life and paralleling that to the sovereignty of God? And thirdly, seeking godly people. How have the people that God has placed in your life shape you? How are they speaking to you? How are they encouraging you, exhorting and challenging you in your faith to be reminded of his faithfulness? Allow God to work in the silence. Allow God to sanctify you in the suffering. Because when you do, just like in this passage we see is that there will always be glory through it. There will always be renewal in it. How do I know when we look at verse 7 is the proof, right? Because in verse 7, what do we see? We see Haman um, casting out this purr. And what was meant for evil was actually used for good. Because at the end of Esther, at the end chapters of Esther, what Esther and Mordecai do is they establish this decree, this two-day feast of celebration, and they call Purim to commemorate God's faithfulness in the silence. But look at that name. It comes from the purr that Haman used to destroy the Persian Jews. That 
Even what the enemy meant for evil, he used it for our good and his glory. See, if Mordecai, Esther, and God's people, if they did not trust in God's sovereignty during the silence, then there would be no celebration of renewal in their lives. And friends, you and I, we can hope today. We can hope right now because we do have someone that is greater than Mordecai. And we can trust him within our lives, which is our third and final point, our hope for today. Fast forwarding briefly in Esther chapter five, what happens is we find Haman completely drunk and he sees Mordecai and as, as always, he is once again, he is filled with anger. He's drunkenly annoyed. And as he sees Mordecai again, he wants Mordecai now to be completely humiliated and decides that he wants to publicly crucify Mordecai on the gallows. But what we see in the very next chapter is the night before Mordecai was to be crucified, the king of Persia, he recollects the events of chapter 2 where Mordecai saves his life from assassination. And so it was at this moment that he reversed the decision of Mordecai's execution and now begins the salvation plan for God's people. So rather than Mordecai being publicly shamed, the king wants him publicly honored. And rather than a nationalistic genocide of the Jews, God's people will now be praised and honored because of a divine revelation. Karen Jobes in her commentary on Esther says it this way, without divine revelation, the human experience is inherently ambiguous and cannot be rightfully understood. See, we all search for divine revelation in the human experience, do we not? We search for divine revelation through grand human experiences by obtaining new relationships, by exploring new locations and seeking new moments just so you can post on your social hashtag divine revelation. But what scripture tells us is that we already have this divine revelation in our lives through the greater Mordecai, Jesus Christ. See, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, the apostle Paul says this, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted Christ to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. He is on the cross. Jesus Christ, he wasn't just persecuted by someone of a high rank such as Haman. Jesus Christ, he was separated from his sonship with the Father. On the cross, unlike Mordecai, who was spared, Jesus Christ was not spared. And he died so that the sinners like you and I can be eternally saved from the wrath of God. On the cross, Jesus Christ would experience the ultimate injustice. The ultimate injustice because Jesus ultimately blameless. 
Yet he had to experience the worst punishment, the very wrath of God, so that justice could be satisfied, the penalty of sin being paid for, and that we would be given the benefits of eternal life, freedom, and joy, perfectly whole with him. The question is, what does that mean for you and I? See, nothing raises the question of where God is and what he is doing more than the injustices of life and present suffering. And the cross answers us. It tells us this, that although we may never know why God has allowed such things to happen, through the cross, we can at least know that he is not absent in the midst of it we can know that he is working out his purpose in our lives for something greater. We know that our suffering is not in vain. We know that God is sovereign over us, even in the silence. And if you are experiencing that type of silence right now, You know, my hope and my my prayer is that you would consider a sovereign God that is with you every step of the way. That in Jesus Christ, your suffering is not in vain. Your injustice is always heard. And my prayer is that you would consider this, that you would come in faith because of the day that that we would be with him eternally, where we would be free from sin, that we would be free of suffering and injustice would be no more. And if this is your first time hearing this, I want to invite you to this promise today. Consider the Christian faith. Consider the gospel in your lives so that you would have a hope for today, knowing for what is to come tomorrow. Would you join me in prayer?